Hello, friend. Welcome to the Walida Zombie Podcast. This is actually our podcast. It's a podcast for the artist community, and I've dedicated this time, and you've dedicated your listening time to making sure that we impact as many artists in a positive way as possible. Today is a very special podcast episode. It is with one of my favorite authors, Gay Hendricks, who is the author of a life-changing book called The Big Leap. He is the author of a brand new book that just came out called The Genius Zone, which is the follow-up to The Big Leap. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I'll tell you throughout the podcast and at the end, please purchase these two books. It's going to change your life. And I've linked to Gay's links in the show notes of this podcast episode. And please forward this episode to anybody, does not matter if they're an actress or a singer, a woodworker, a photographer, any artistic soul, there's a special source of help that we need. And I think that Gay does a phenomenal job providing that. The man has been on the Oprah Winfrey show. He's on our podcast now. A, I love that sort of giving. B, I love the fact that you support this podcast. C, I'm so proud of this podcast because I had this idea that I want to reach out to more artists and help more people. And here you are listening, and I'm thankful for you. All right, let's start with Gay Hendricks. Hello there. Hello. I finally found you. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, my pleasure, Walid. I first discovered Gay Hendricks when my best friends mailed me a book. And by the way, his new movie is coming out tonight on Netflix called Kissing Booth 3. He plays Marco, and I'm very proud of him. But he mailed me a book and a bunch of his co-stars, and he said, Walid, I found this book, and it changed the way I thought while he was sitting on set recording this movie. And he's like, I want you to read it. And I think that when somebody sends you a book, when someone sends you a book and they say, here, I think that you have this incredible creative talent. Here's how to reach your zone of genius. I think it's one of the kindest gestures ever. So I'm so thankful for that. And I've since bought it from many other people. Anyways, I just want to explain how Gay came into my life and why we have him here on stage. He's a best-selling author, appeared on Oprah all around the world on stages. He's a psychologist, best uh, a teacher in the field of personal growth, relationships, body intelligence, and he conducts workshops with his wife, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. I'm honored that you're here. So, Gay, I know that that was a very, very small intro, but I'd love to hear more about you and welcome to the stage. Well, thank you. Um, you mentioned my wife, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. Uh, we call or Katie here around the house. Katie and I have been together now. We're about to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. So we've uh, been together many decades. And uh, Katie's uh, a psychologist also. I originally, I got my uh, doctorate in counseling psychology from Stanford uh, way back in 1974, long before the internet or clubhouse or anything like that. And uh, so I worked for many years. I was a university professor at the University of Colorado in um, the branch in Colorado Springs for 21 years. I was in the counseling psychology department there and was uh, chairman of the department for many years. And then um, we had this magical thing happen. We had spent the 1980s doing a lot of relationship work and building a whole new theory of relationship, how people could uh, be in harmonious relationships. And we got a call one day from a up-and-coming talk show host named uh, Oprah Winfrey, and she brought us on her show, and 
kind of overnight, it changed our lives in many ways because we'd been working with, you know, eight or 10 people in our office and suddenly we're out there in front of 10 million people. And um, it led to about 10 years uh, during the 1990s, we put on a couple of million frequent flyer miles flying around the world doing seminars. Um, and that whole time I was also working with a lot of uh, doing a lot of corporate consultation with very uh, amazing business people. I, I was a consultant for many years down uh, in Austin, Texas, uh, to Dell Computer, Michael Dell uh, primarily, and his top two people there in the company. And so I did a lot of work with helping people make big breakthroughs in the business world. In 19, I mean, in 2009, uh, The Big Leap was published, and it um, became a big bestseller and still is. It's a uh, widely used among entrepreneurs to help people make big leaps. And uh, I'm delighted actually to be talking to a group of photographers because um, I talk to different groups all the time. You know, like last week, I talked to a group of about 1,500 people that are in the financial services business. And um, I'll be talking to another group of people in the um, leadership world here shortly. And uh, But I've never had the opportunity to sit down and talk with uh, a number of artists like we have here today. So I'm very interested uh, in um, showing how you might be able to apply some of these. I have a lot of clients who are uh, actors and uh, musicians and folks like that in the entertainment business. But to my knowledge, I've never had a, a photographer client. So this is uh, new ground for me today. Perfect. Uh, I'm excited about that. And listen, there's I'm actually surprised because I was reading this the book, and I'm talking right now about the genius zone. And, you know, there's so many things that I, there's true creativity versus ordinary creativity, which we'll jump in. And, you know, how we're addicted to suffering and all of that. And I'm thinking, my God, this is like what we go through as artists. So I felt like the book was – and I, I guess that that is what makes a phenomenal book. That when Taylor bought me the book, he said, you're going to read through it. And you're just going to constantly hit yourself on the head and say, oh, my God, of course, of <laughs> course. And you must hear that a lot, right, about your about the big leap of how it's so common sense, but so easily forgotten. Do you get that a lot? Yes, I do. I get the best fan mail, mail from um, Big Leap readers and now the new book, The Genius Zone. I, I get just... Um, I say I live on a steady diet of miracles because every day when I open my inbox, I get to hear from people that have taken all sorts of different big leaps. And when I read comments on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and things like that, it's very heartening. Uh, it's kind of an author's dream in a way to write a book that changes lots of people's lives. And so um, it, it gives me a, a real warm-hearted feeling every day of my life. That's, that's the best gift. I, I guess... What would be um, – th there's so many questions that I do have, and I want to pull it right back to the big leap. Would you be able to – I, I want to give people a, an intro to this book and to your teachings. And so you speak in particular. Before we get into the genius zone, there are four other zones you speak about, right? There's incompetence, competence, excellence, which is, I guess, the dangerous one and then the zone of genius. Would you mind giving us a quick yes. overview and maybe how that could relate in the artist world? Yes. Well, the big leap is really about two big things. One, it's how to get into your genius zone, and it's also how to overcome your upper limit problem. And in the genius zone, the new book, uh, 
I talk about how to live in your genius zone and how to spot the moments where you can jump into it easily. But back to the big leap for a moment. I learned from working with a lot of amazing gifted people during the 80s and 90s, I realized that most people spend their time and waste a lot of their time in two zones that they could easily get out of it. And what I call the zone of incompetence. And that's when you're doing something you're not very good at. You're not good at it, but you think you need to do it because you maybe can't find anybody else who will do it for you, or maybe you can't afford to have an assistant or that kind of thing. But uh, in the book, I tell the story of standing in line at the post office one day many years ago when I had this insight. And at the time, I charged $1,000 an hour for my consultation and, and for a session. And I was down at the post office, and I realized I'd been standing in the line for 15 minutes in this glacially slow line then they had one clerk up at the counter. And so here was, you know, 15 or 20 people all sitting there waiting in our turn. And I just happened to look at my watch and I realized I had a $250 investment already in standing this line, standing wow. in this line. Yeah. And uh, so that made a huge impact on me. And I turned around and walked out the door and I haven't stood in one since. So that was a big impact. And what I recommend that people do is identify anything they do during the course of the day that they're not any good at. And as soon as possible, figure out how to get somebody else to do that. Because a lot of people, even gifted people, waste a tremendous amount of time doing things that they're not very good at or someone else could do much better. The second big zone is what I call the zone of competence, where you're doing something you're good at, but somebody else is just as good at it. And that's another one. As soon as possible, delegate, get out of that, get somebody else to do that. The other two zones, the zone you mentioned, the excellence zone, is great in some ways, and it's also a, col a colossal trap in other ways, because in your excellence zone, you're doing stuff that you're good at, you're better at it than most people. And the more you do it, good things happen. You make money doing it, or you get adulation doing it, or people approve of you doing it. And the tendency is to do it more and more and more. And ultimately, though, it becomes a trap because it keeps you from spending time in your genius zone. Your genius zone, the way I define it, your genius zone is when you're doing what you most love to do and what you're uniquely suited to do, and you're doing it in such a way that it makes a contribution to other people. To me, that's the type of genius that feels absolutely best. It's when you, as an artist, as a photographer, are bringing forth what you most love to do, and you're sitting in the sweet spot of what you are uniquely suited to do. And you're also doing that in a way that other people prosper from it too. It's not just for you, it's to make a contribution to other people. I've worked with about 1,200, I think now, really top of the line business executives, CEOs, top of the line actors, top of the line musicians. So I've worked with a lot of people who are expressing their gifts very well. And yet, Almost every one of them I've ever talked to 
has told me that they wish they had more time to spend in their genius zone. And that to me is if a gifted person is wasting one minute in their zones of competence or incompetence, that's a ripoff to yourself as well as to the world around you. So as soon as possible, work yourself up into that place where you're really living your genius every day. And I'm not going to tell you it's a simple task. Right. It requires dedication. To, to give you an example, when I first thought of this, which goes back now 30-some years ago, I realized that I was only spending about 10% of my own time in my genius zone. And so right away, I started amplifying that and trying to do more things in my genius zone. And that I went from 10%, like 1989 or something like that, to close to 100% by the end of the century, by 1999. So it's possible to start out small and work yourself up to where you're spending your entire day in your genius zone. It just takes dedication and focus. It's not hard work, but it does, does take dedication and commitment. Absolutely. And that's where you talk about in the new book, The Genius Zone, that it, it's not about committing. It's about the recommitment over and over and over. And that's the magic. But I do want to ask you real fast on the not finding or not living your genius zone. Well, there's one thing that I do love also before that I'm jumping all over the place is that in this new book, you said that when you truly find in the, the book, The Genius Zone, when you truly find your genius, you feel compelled to share it. And I think that that was so important as artists, as you know, photographers and filmmakers, that you can't help it, but you just want to share your gift with as many people as possible. And that's the breakthrough for any artist. So would you agree with that? Obviously, I mean, you wrote it, so you would. <laughs> yes, I, I yeah. completely agree with that. <laughs> Since I took your Thank words. You. Uh, that's just a genius piece of writing right there, sir. <laughs> yeah, who is this genius? Uh, but let me ask you, what, what have you yeah, seen? Yeah, who is this guy? What have you seen from people who have not embraced their, their zone of genius? What, what, what are the long-term well, effects there's this one quotation I use in, in the new book, The Genius Zone. It's from the Gospel of Thomas, which was one of the Gospels, uh, apocryphal gospel that didn't make it into the official Bible, but it has some really great stuff in it. And one thing it says is, if you bring forth who you truly are, who you truly are will save you. And if you don't bring forth who you truly are, who you truly are will destroy you. If you br And let's extend that to genius. If you bring forth your genius, your genius will save you. And let me say how important that is too, Waleed, because I've worked with a lot of people, especially in the 70s and 80s, when I was doing more of a regular clinical practice of clinical psychology, working with clients just one at a time and that kind of thing. I met so many people that were suffering from physical problems that went away as they started expressing more of their genius. Yes. So in my opinion, one of the ways we make ourselves sick or tired or run down is by doing stuff that's not in our genius zone. And the more you start doing stuff that you love to do and that makes a contributions to people's lives, the more you start doing that, the more life energy you have flowing through you. And the more more love energy too because you're doing more of what you love to do so in my view doesn't matter if you're 25 or 75 your big task in life 
is to express your full creative potential. And if we don't do that, there's a part of us that suffers inside. And if we're, you know, if you're a very gifted creative artist person, like you folks are, you're going to feel the pinch of that more acutely in your body. So it's important, I think, for the overall state of health to get more life flow through ourselves, to get more love in our lives, to, to be able to open up our capacity for receiving love and positive energy and abundance. I think that learning to receive is one of the biggest things that I've noticed that a lot of artists have trouble with. Yes. They're very good at giving and expressing, but not as good as re at receiving abundance and receiving appreciation and receiving uh, adulation from, uh, from people who consume their work. Gay, why do you think that is? I think it boils down to four of those big fears that I mentioned in The Big Leap. Many people who are listening to my voice right now and yours are people who are afraid because they're afraid of outshining other people. They're afraid of stepping into fully being the star in your own life. And that comes from early childhood programming. Maybe you grew up in a family where you were really the creative one, but people made fun of you or people, you know, artists don't actually get a very good reception later in, you know, in life. True that. Yeah. Not, and um, so you get a lot of that prejudice against genius early on. And then the second big fear that I talk about that I think applies to a lot of, of artists as far as creating abundance in their lives is I think a lot of artists, well, everybody, but a lot of artists in particularly have self-esteem issues in the sense that they feel like there's something fundamentally wrong about themselves or fundamentally they don't fit or fundamentally bad. You know, this, this fear of being fundamentally flawed in some way. That's a big fear that I think a lot of people have. I talk about that a lot in The Big Leap because I've worked with, you know, at this stage of the game, I started out 50 years ago working in a treatment center for uh, delinquent youth. So I've worked with everyone from 14-year-old juvenile delinquents up to now, you know, people that are prominent in the movie industry or Grammy winners and things like that, people who have distinguished themselves. But here's the thing. Even a person who's won 19 Grammys has self-esteem issues that mess him up in other areas of his life because he has that feeling of being fundamentally flawed. And so even though he's good at receiving money, let's say, the person I'm thinking of is terrible at receiving love, has gone through any number of relationships where he just can't let himself be loved. And so the upper limit problem that I talk about in The Big Leap applies to relationships as well as creating financial abundance for yourself, that many of us have upper limit problems in our relationship where we start feeling the flow of love more in a particular relationship, and then we do something to mess it up or the other person does something to mess it up. But it doesn't matter who's doing the messing up. It's just how much time are you able to spend in the flow of love and abundance? Are you able to spend three weeks without messing up a relationship? Were you able to spend three months or three days? I've done them all. Uh, before I met Katie, I uh, went through any number of relationships in my yeah. teens and 20s. I always say my relationships up until 
I met Katie resembled the trajectory of the uh, Titanic. They would start with great <laughs> fanfare and celebration, but then they would hit the same, hit the iceberg after six months or so. And it took me a long time to realize that I was the iceberg. Gay, I love that you, not the iceberg part of it, but I love that you shared all of this. And I've worked with a lot of, I've photographed a lot of, I guess, legendary sort of artists. And the one thing I have noticed is so true when you say this is that the more Grammys they win, the more accolades they have, the more pain there is inside of them. And I find that fascinating. And the most impactful musicians of our lifetime, they carry so much burden. So um, I think that you saying that is going to help a lot of artists feel quote unquote normal as, hey, I'm not the only one. So thank you for that. Would you be able to define a tiny bit more what the upper limit problem is. And then I'd love to see if we could tie that into why are we so addicted to suffering? Because that's a big thing artists yes, do. The we upper limit, yes. Uh, the upper limit problem is the act of sabotaging ourselves when things are going well. When things start to go well, the upper limit problem is like a, um, a set of breaks on your success where due to those old, old fears I was talking about, like the fear of being fundamentally flawed or the fear of outshining, you start doing better. You start making more money. You start having more success. And then all of a sudden, one of those old fears comes up and you put the brakes on and stop yeah. yourself in your tracks. And that's the upper limit problem. And as I said, those are based on fears that the fear comes up and then we do something like get sick or have an accident or an illness or something like that. Uh, one of my favorite examples, uh, many years ago, there was a Rolling Stones album. And uh, I can't remember the name of the album, but it was the one with the song Miss You on it. Um, and I'll just, uh, in case you weren't around back there, I'll whistle the melody or I'll <laughs> sing the melody. Okay. Do, do, because I miss you. It was a kind of a disco flavored song. But the reason I mentioned that is because they were recording that album in Paris and Mick Jagger went down, was down in the subway in Paris when, one time and he heard this amazing blues harmonica player named Sugar Blue. And he was playing, and uh, I, I don't know if you've been to, Paris, but down in the subways, there's a lot of great musicians that go down there and, uh, and probably other subways as well. Uh, but, um, the, you know, they put out their hat and the acoustics are good down there because there's good resonance. Anyway, that's where Mick Jagger saw this guy and he invited him to come record this harp solo, uh, blues harmonica solo. And it's a stunning solo that's on that song, uh, Miss You, if you're curious enough to look it up sometime. Anyway, that's not the important part. The important part is they also invited him to come down and play in the concert when they played the concert in Paris. And it was this big break. I mean, going from the subway to playing on stage with the Rolling Stones, that's about as good as it's going to get for a that harmonica player. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't get to do it because when he went to go in the stage door, he was he had a couple of joints in his pocket 
and they frisked him at the stage door and wouldn't let him go in. And so he missed his opportunity to play on stage with the Stones. He may have gotten on another occasion, but I know there was one concert where he got busted at the door. So that's an example of the upper limit problem to the max right there. So there was something down in him subconsciously that may may have thought he didn't deserve to get that much acc accolade. And so he uh, found a way to sabotage himself. Most of the time, it's not so dramatic, though. Most of the time, what happens is you're walking down the street, you're feeling really good, and then you have a thought about some problem, you know, somebody you're having a relationship issue sure. with, or you think about your bank account. And then that worry thought itself becomes the upper limit problem. It stops you from feeling good. So what I recommend that people do is, first of all, you mentioned commitment. So yes. important. If you're listening to this right now, one of the biggest things you could do for yourself is make a simple commitment, but it's got to be heartfelt. You just can't, you know, frivolously toss it off. But but check out this. I've I've taught this to many people. Just ask yourself inside, are you willing to make this commitment? I commit to bringing forth more of my genius every day of my life. I commit to bringing forth more of my genius every day of my life. That commitment, if it's heartfelt, if it's sincere, will get you started. And what happens, it's just like making a commitment. Okay, let's say you're, you're on a trip and you say, okay, my commitment is to go to San Francisco. And so you point your car or your airplane or whatever you are operating to go to San Francisco. Now, here's the magic of it, Waleed, and that is that I tell people to think of making a goal like setting the, the controls on an automatic pilot on an airplane. Okay. And what you do is, let's say you set your goal. Okay, the goal is revealing more of your genius every day. So you set the controls there. But what happens with an automatic pilot the real magic is the automatic pilot gets on the beam to San Francisco, but it only stays there sometimes for a second or two. It starts to drift a little to the right, and the program kicks in and says, okay, let's go back to the left a little bit. And then it drifts a little bit to the left, and it says, okay, let's go back to the right. And so it's constantly thousands of times, probably an hour, making a recommitment that's just as important as the original commitment itself. Because what happens is that success, you don't get there in a straight line. You get there with various distractions and speed bumps and round roundabouts and things like that. And so what happens is go ahead and set that automatic pilot, but realize that it gets to San Francisco by being wrong most of the time okay. because it has this power of recommitment. And so I promise you, no matter what, what big goal you set, whether it's going to San Francisco or releasing more of your genius every day, occasionally stuff is going to come up. Fears are going to come up. The upper limit problem is going to come up. The real key thing is as soon as possible, recommit and get back on track again. And so, so recommitment is just as important as commitment and maybe more so. See, I love that because I, I just love that because I, I it is 
we self-sabotage so much in a lot of ways of, you know, for example, let's just say I'm going to eat healthier. All right. The go-to example for everybody. Right. And then you have some Oreo cookies and you're like, oh, my God, I just sabotaged the whole day and it starts spiraling out of control. And this is where the recommitment comes in and nudges you back saying, "Okay, you messed up this past 25 minutes, but let's continue the rest of the day. You're pretty much saying that, right? It's like constantly being nudged back towards your path. Yes. Make that commitment. Get that commitment in place. And you will automatically start moving back in that direction. And that's a beautiful thing because, well, you mentioned weight loss. That's a great example, Waleed, because I lost a bunch of weight back in my 20s. And the exact same thing happened to me. I I started eating a new way. I used to live on burgers, french fries, vanilla malts, etc. And um, I I had a, a belly that protruded out over my belt profoundly. And so I made a big change in my eating habits. I started eating in such a way that I only ate foods that I'd never eaten before. I figured all of them had made me fat. So let me eat foods that I'd never eaten before. And so I started eating more fruits and vegetables and things like that. And over the period of a month or so, I lost about 30 pounds, which was fantastic. and I'd really done it without, you know, much pain and suffering in a way. Oh, by the way, don't worry. I'm going to get back to telling people how, uh, why we're adu- addicted to pain and suffering. Yes, <laughs> I certainly yes. was at that time. <laughs> uh, but I started eating this new way and I dropped 30 pounds or so. And I was walking past an ice cream store in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I saw this family of about four or five people sitting there devouring this huge banana split. Um, and I was just captivated by it. And I walked in and I said, give me one of those. <laughs> and I remember the woman kind of looked over my shoulder. The clerk looked over my shoulder like, are you going to eat this yourself? Where's the rest of your party? <laughs> you <know? laughs> party of and, one. <laughs> but, party of one. And so I sat down and I plowed into this thing. And... Uh, for about 20 minutes afterwards, I felt like a million dollars. You know, I was walking down the street on that sugar high, singing songs and the kind of thing. But about 20 minutes like after that, I was doubled over practically with the biggest bellyache I'd ever had in my life. And I that was a classic upper limit problem right there. And it made such a searing impression on me, probably because it literally took me about two or three days to get rid of the awful poisoned feeling in my body that I'd poisoned myself with this giant sugar overload. You know, it was probably like, I've never been into alcohol, but I can imagine an alcoholic, you know, by maybe quits drinking for 30 days and then, you know, sees a quart of liquor or something and um, drinks it would probably have the same kind of poison effect on their bodies. And so that really taught me a lesson. And I started looking for Hmm, how do I upper limit myself? What do I actually do to mess up that good feeling inside? And I think those were the seeds of when I first started um, writing The Big Leap. I didn't write it until around 2008, but I'd been thinking about it for about 30 years before then. So when people ask me how long it took to write uh, The Big Leap, I say, well, it took me a year to write it, but I'd been thinking about it for 30 years. Exactly. I mean, listen, Uh, by the way, uh, if. 
I was just uh, peeking at the time here, and I noticed the time is ticking by. I do want to talk about this whole addiction to suffering thing, because I think that's a, a very big thing that people have. And I have a story from, oh, probably I was working with a well-known blues singer uh, back, uh, who's no longer on the planet with us, but um, very famous blues singer. And this goes back about 25 years or so, 25 or 30 years when I was working with this individual. So I was working on the problem of how to create more harmony in his relationships, because he had a, a partner at the time, and they would probably go for maybe two days at a time without creating a big argument. But the problem was after the argument, it would sometimes take them a week or even two weeks to kind of get back on track again. And so they were spending most of their time fighting with each other. And so I was, I was working with uh, my client on creating more space for happiness inside himself. And I remember at one point he looked at me and he said, what am I supposed to be? A happy blues singer? You know, like if I give up my suffering, I'll be able to practice my art. Yeah. And, and so I said, hey, listen, go out on stage and be the best blues singer in the world. But when you come home, put on a different suit, you know, put on your I'm available for love suit rather than I'm here to talk about pain and suffering suit. And so I'm, I'm happy well, that to say was his that identity, he did that. Right? For, yeah, he had this identity of himself as having to suffer to be in touch with the songs and to be in touch with the audience and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, that's a great thing to do on stage, but it's a terrible thing to do at home. And so as he was able to shed his suffering persona at home and open himself up to more um, good feelings from his uh, from his daughter and from his uh, partner that changed his life because being open to love doesn't mean you can't also tune into people's suffering and that kind of thing. You don't have to do all the suffering yourself in order to keep your persona <laughs> intact. And so I say, go ahead, let yourself be a an artist who understands suffering and can resonate with that, but don't need to live in it constantly in your own life. Open up your capacity for receiving love and positive energy. There's no one that can do that for you. The only person who can do that is you because you have to make a new deal with the universe, so to speak, where you make a new arrangement where you say, I'm available for love. I'm available for abundance. I'm available for wealth. I'm available for healthy fame. Where you make yourself available to those kinds of things and open your heart and mind and make a commitment to those things. Here's the problem too, Waleed, is while we're on the subject of commitment, a lot of our problems are we have unconscious commitments 
to negative things. Yes. You know, like most artists, when they wake up in the morning, don't say, okay, today I'm going to make a commitment to feeling miserable all day long so I can be a better photographer. That's not a conscious decision that people make. It's an unconscious decision. And just like my, oh, I, I, I was going to mention a while ago with, with the uh, Grammy person, yeah. another musician uh, was about to get his palm prints down in the concrete down at the um, Walk of Walk Fame of Pain, down yes. there. It, yeah, in Hollywood. Oh, by the way, where where do you live, Waleed? Los Angeles. Okay, so you know what I'm talking yes, about I down do. there. Is that yeah. on Hollywood Boulevard or Sunset Boulevard? It's Hollywood uh, for the most part. I live part. up north. Yeah, for the most part, it's Hollywood yeah. Boulevard. Okay, so I get a panic call from... Uh, the singer who's having a flat out panic attack the day before he's supposed to go down and put his palm prints in the concrete. What could possibly do that? You know, well, it's our old friend, the upper limit problem, because the day before he'd suddenly become flooded with this, I don't deserve it thing that I'm fundamentally flawed. If they knew who I really am, they wouldn't be putting my <laughs> paw prints in the, yeah. in the concrete. And so this idea, you know, like my granddad in his time, there was this old saying, my granddad was kind of a salty old guy, smoked 20 cigars a day and that kind of thing. And he had all these old sayings. And one of them is, uh, the higher a monkey goes up the tree, the more of his bottom you can see. He didn't use the word bottom, but I'm, I'm cleaning it up for a, a sensitive, sensitive audience that we have here today. But, you know, and, and the guy that called me up about the panic attack, I had him come over and uh, I had him stand there and just kind of a, a practice being appreciated and practiced over and over again, um, just receiving appreciation and then reporting out where he felt that fear in his body. And so gradually getting him clear of that fear so he could enjoy that the next day. And, you know, I've seen uh, pictures of him the next day and there's this nice big smile on his face. And I like to think that as we overcome the upper limit problem and allow more positive energy into ourselves, that it makes us physically healthier, emotionally healthier, and in a way, spiritually healthier. Because in a way, I, I think that I, I, kind of, I, I like to think of myself as a spiritual person, although not particularly religious, in the sense that when I look into ourselves and I look out into the world and to other people, down at the bottom, at the very center of ourselves, we have this spirit to us. And I don't know if you call it a soul or spirit or whatever you want to call it, but I know you can feel it. It's that part of yourself that doesn't have any programming on it. It was here before we were in the sense that it's the natural gift, our pure consciousness, our spark of aliveness that we have in ourselves. That's a birthright that we need to celebrate on a daily basis. And that's why I say we are spiritual beings having a physical experience here rather than physical beings having an occasional spiritual experience. Because if you think about what brought you to this 
podcast or whatever we're doing, the clubhouse thing, um, show. When you think, Waleed, about what brought you personally to do this, as well as what brought your listeners and your community to participate in this, I think down underneath, way down underneath, we all have this spirit, and this spirit wants to emerge, and this spirit wants us to express our genius. And it's this thing that's causing us to wake up every day. Then once we wake up, that's our choice then. Are we going to make this day about the expression of our genius, or are we going to make this day about stagnation, going through the same drill over and over again, eating the same food, going to the same places. What I think we need to do is make this sincere, heartfelt commitment to bringing forth our genius and then catch the drift and make the shift. When you drift off of that, make the shift. Come back to that, that central intention. Catch the so, drift yes, I, and I, make I, the shift. I don't think of myself as a hip-hop artist, but how about that for a, uh, a good new hip-hop uh, song? Catch the drift. <laughs> Make the shift. I love that. I love that. I'm going to use that. And thank you for that, especially that last story, because I think that it's going to resonate with so many artists. And to answer your question, maybe in parts, and I, I do think that something gravitated me towards, or actually uh, had my friend say, Walid needs this book. And he mailed it to me and he mailed it to some other friends. And to me, it's the most gifted book I've ever given people, you know, to so many different people. And I think it's such a gift that you're sharing this with us and making it easy for us to understand. But I think that everybody is here because they need to hear this message. And I think for the artist community, we don't get as much support. I think you said it best in the beginning of the session. We just, we suffer a tiny bit more. And there's something that we feel is fundamentally flawed about us. So I also, just for selfish reasons, I want to thank you because for the past six years, I've been helping the photography community for free. And it has been my greatest privilege and pleasure of just helping people and seeing them do well and not asking for anything in return. And so when I read The Big Leap, I it was that moment that I was like, oh my God, I think this is my zone of genius. And so <laughs> the fact that well, I, I just discovered the book last year or earlier this year, excuse me. But then that the Genius Zone just recently came out. It was perfect timing for me. So I'm thankful for that. I want to go to one of my favorite, favorite quotes in the Genius Zone, the book that just came out, which you guys is available everywhere, right, Gay? And also on audiobooks. I mean, the way that I the way that I heard it was a full tank of gas, put the audiobook on drive down the coast and and gay said you have to pull over when i ask you to or not pull over i need you to pull out a notebook and write some things when i ask you to do an exercise so i would pull over and i would write on my ipad with my little apple pen and then continue driving and it was it, it's just such a monumental book so i i had to have you on this on this podcast well we have may, maybe we have we for two more minutes is there are there any <laughs> final notes any final things you would like to say to the audience? I'm already so thankful for all of your time, but I want to give you the mic for the for the final couple of minutes. 
Yes, I want to say a word or two about The Genius Zone, the new book, because it's a sequel to The Big Leap. That um, If you've seen the cover of The Big Leap, it has a goldfish leaping out of a bowl of uh, water into another bigger bowl. Um, so it's about making The Big Leap into your genius zone. The new book, The Genius Zone, is about how easy it is to live there if you know how to make certain little adjustments in yourself, kind of like a bird learning to make little adjustments that allows it to soar along on wind currents. And so the new book is a lot about how to make those subtle adjustments. And one reason people are getting it so much on audio book um, is that uh, the audio book, I, I read the introduction myself, uh, but also it's full of exercises that it's kind of nice to have somebody telling you how to do them in your ear rather than holding a book in one hand and doing them from the book. So um, it's, a, it's a good uh, new way to do it. Thank you so much. And I second that audiobook. I mean, that's how I did it. And it's, it's such an incredibly powerful but easy listen that you could be walking, driving, working at home, and it's just constant reminder after reminder. And it's, it's, you're right. It's these exercises that make these lists of things you can control, things you cannot control. I can't recommend this book and The Big Leap highly enough, everybody. To me, it has changed my life. And Gay, I just want to uh, personally thank you and everybody else that was listening. Thank you for your time and your expertise and um, for reminding us that it's our birthright to be able to be happy, to live in our zone of genius. And that was really important to hear. But everybody, thank you for investing some of your time today. And hearing Gay speak, I pull in guests that I think are really going to positively influence the artist community uh, here in my club, Photography Masterclass. And just want to thank everybody. And again, thank you, Gay. What is the best place that they could reach you or find out more about the Hendrix Institute? The best place is Hendrix.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. And we also um, have a website, especially for the new book, called GeniusZoneBook.com. And the reason I mention that is because uh, if you get the book through there, or if you've, if you've already bought it, all you have to do is put in your uh, receipt there, and you'll get a download of a 15-minute guided meditation that I do in my own voice with some beautiful background music where I take you through the key concepts in The Big Leap and The Genius Zone. So uh, go to uh, GeniusZoneBook.com and uh, that's where you can find that uh, guided meditation. Thank you so much. And for the podcast, I'm going to go ahead and link that to the show notes. You can just click that. Gay, thank you so, so very much. I appreciate everything you've done today. Well, thank you very much, Waleed. Great uh, to talk to you and uh, blessings to all of you uh, who are listening. Uh, may you have many big leaps and spend your whole life in your genius zone. Perfect. Thank you again. Have a best day. You too. Alrighty, I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast episode with Gay Hendricks. I know I did, and it re-energized how I feel about my own artistry. My biggest goal is that you can hear incredible people that I have access to, and I'm able to pull them in, and I'm able to help uplift the artist community. But it's difficult to do this by myself. It's a one-man show so many times. And I got my YouTube and my TikTok and my Instagram and my blog and my masterclass, and I got this podcast, and I've got Clubhouse. I'm doing as much as I can to help uplift my peers, because when you rise up, I get to rise up with you. So what I'm asking for 
is for your assistance in helping um, A, subscribe to this podcast, please. B, if you haven't left an honest review, please do so on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much. And then number three, please share this with an artist in your life. Doesn't matter if they're a home contractor, if they paint faces at birthday parties, if they pick up a camera and click pictures or record video, or they dance on a stage, or they um, do whatever they can. Artists need as much support as possible. This book, The Genius Zone, which is the follow-up to The Big Leap, have both been life-changing, and I'll never say anything like that unless I mean it. Gay really enlightened us. I hope that there's a little spark inside of you that clicked, that sparked, and I'm prepared to do everything I can to make sure that that little spark turns into a burning fire and that you reach the heights that you are entitled to and that you deserve. All right. Thank you so much. Please check the show notes for all of the links to Gay Hendrix's books, to the uh, Hendrix Institute, uh, ways you can support him, ways you can support yourself by investing in his books. And I will speak with you on our next podcast episode. Thank you very, very much. My name is Walid. As you know, I'll speak with you next time. Bye-bye.